Hello, and welcome back to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who podcast. Hello, and welcome back back to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. And in this episode, we find Simon Exton reflecting on the moral implications of colonial, colonialism inherent in this story. Cy Hart is reflecting on the transient nature of life and beauty. And Joe Ford is reflecting the nine moons of Vortis off of his ass. <laughs> Big enough, I'll tell you. Well, welcome to the center. This is Web Planet episode six. Oh, you, know, you said you did an intro for five, so can we just hear that, please? Five? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Cy Hart is feeling sorry for the Monoptera. Joe Ford is feeling a Pazabi, and Simon Exon is feeling a bit grubby. <laughs> I can't wait to see what you do for the time on stuff, you know. <laughs> it will involve the dildometer. <laughs> okay, here we are. The, the exciting climax of the web planet where everything is about to come to a head. Uh, are you gentlemen ready to watch this thing? Oh yes. Okay, the doctor and Vicky are a bit spunky. I'll count us in in five, four, three. Two, one. Now, I have a question from mm -hmm. our dear friend and co-host of this thing, Fraser Gregory. Oh, no, I've lost it. Hang on. <laughs> what bloody hell is this question? Sorry. Oh, yeah, here we go. Right, are you ready? Dennis Spooner, underrated hero or villain who made the show too light entertainment? Discuss. Simon. Definitely not villain. Um... I'm not sure he's underrated because I, I don't know many people who don't like his stuff. Oh, so, um, but his stories are great. Oh, sorry? Um, I think he's great. I think he um, kind of humanises the show a little. <laughs> um, I think his attention to detail on, on um, characters is is different to David Whittaker's. So he's got a bit more of a populist touch, I think. And so you do get increased humour um, in the stories, which I think does make a difference to the show. So I think see, um, season one is brilliant and wonderful, but at times it can be a bit po-faced yeah. and a bit over-serious. A bit and, series 11. Yeah. And so I think him coming in and he's got good attention to the characters i think as well so he just sort of humanizes it all and just lifts it a little and i think his his dialogue sings and is a lot more sayable than than um some of the stuff that they've done in in season one oh by the way si i think i've killed season hero oh. i mean he, he had the <laughs> one liner down pat didn't he? yeah uh, look at Hartnell at that point. It's what have I got on my face? Yeah. <laughs> How has my career come to this? Mind oh. you, by all accounts, he absolutely was riding high on the popularity of this show at this point. Oh, particularly by this point. Before we lose um, Jackie Lane and Jackie Lane, Jackie Hill and William Russell. So he's really comfortable. The show's getting record numbers. They're having a Fortnum and Mason hamper every week when they're filming. I mean, he's living the high life. And oh, look, Vicky's still got in her hair. Um, yeah, and dripping down into her eye, poor girl. Oh, I hate it when you step into a cobweb like that. You know, it's really it gross. Just clings to you. 
Um, and I, I have to say, I think at this point, we've got one of the best TARDIS teams that that were ever on the screen. Yeah, I would agree. They work so well together. Yeah, their their arrival to really classic teams like um, Third Doctrine, Sarah Jane, Fourth Doctrine, and Leela. But I think like they're the sort of characters uh, that you can just hang with. We just hang with them at the beginning of the Romans. We just hang with them at the beginning of the Chase. And the start of this story as well. Yeah. Yep. Oh, they're having great fun with that Zarbi. <laughs> I mean, I just I don't know if this is a scene I'd have on with a non-fan around. I'm going to say that. <laughs> they're dancing around. The if you don't see it in context, it looks ridiculous. But actually, as part of the story, it's fine. Oh, I think you could point that all of Classic Who in that <laughs> in that regard. Well, yeah, you pull things out. And you don't see it as part of the whole, then yeah, it's not gonna, it's gonna look ridiculous. They pull that that scene of Martin Clune that of snake dance all the time, don't they? And yeah, it's a terrific performance. Yeah, and that again, that works as part of the story. Uh, see, that's uh, a, a tiny little bit of corridor, but it just looks fantastic. Yeah, and they, look at this, all, all of these sort of. Um, Vines and twigs there coming out of the walls. Yeah, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and there Roots was a sort, of a, it was sort of a nice little spurt going on of acid yes. too. No, it's water. Ah, oh, that's right. Because there's no water on the surface because of the carcinome. Ah, so when the animus dies, that means the water it comes back. Yeah, rise up. Stop it! I'll start singing that song from Rosa. Yeah, because it's it's pools of formic acid, isn't it? Yeah, I don't, we must talked about that. I just love that scene in episode one. You know, when he uh, loses his tie in the acid pool, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Look at their little fuzzy felt arms. That that oh. is oh fuzzy felt. I haven't thought about fuzzy felt for years. <laughs> I. I just used it to create Make Dogs Who creations when I was a kid, you know. Like, seriously. So, Whitaker script edited before this. Yeah. And Wiles script edits after this? No, no. Donald Tosh. Tosh, sorry. Wiles yeah. was producer. And again, that's a sharp turn in tone, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah. But not as much as he wanted. No. Apparently. <laughs> No, yeah, he wanted it. He wanted it even darker and even weirder. Uh, Toby Haydock says that the William Hartnell era of Doctor Who is like the weirdest Doctor Who ever got in terms of landscapes and in terms of storytelling and sound effects. I think, do you agree with that? Do you think the show kind of takes a more traditional science fiction route after we hit Trout's time? I think it always sounds weird, particularly through the 60s. It always sounds odd. I think um, Brian Hodgson is one of the unsung geniuses who worked on the show because his sound effects make these these places seem odder than even the visuals are. So you've got all the chirping of the Zabi, which can be annoying after a little while. 
but it's a weird and strange sound that you wouldn't hear anywhere else. And you've got things like the chumblies that make the sound of um, Galaxy 4, which is a very standard tale, but that makes it just that little bit stranger and weirder. And all through the 60s, his his effects work is amazing. The noise of the white robots and their clockwork soldiers Mm -hmm. in that. The sort of vision, I, I just feel like in this era, anything goes in the Hartnell era. And then in the Troughton era, you know, any base under siege goes. Yeah, because they, they work out a formula that, that works and then they repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And they're looking at their resources. So um, Innes Lloyd is a very good producer from that point of view because he works out that if you have a big set, you can use it for, you can use four or six weeks money to make a really impressive set and then center that all the action around that. But it limits the kind of stories that you can tell. And so you're getting a repeat of the same, same story. And so suddenly Doctor Who's got a formula. The monsters are coming in and you're all trapped. And that's it. Do you know what I think is the most uh, boldest sort of diverse period of storytelling after this? I think it's season 19, you know, where you get Castrovalva, Kinder, Earthshock, Black Orchid, The Visitation. Uh, they're so tonally different. Oh, here we go. And time flight's just weird <laughs> at the end of it all. We're, we're now in the Animus, and now I feel like I'm watching an Art House movie. So this and is that, yeah. That set is got... tiny, but it looks fantastic. Yeah. yeah, and we've got to to episode six of the story, and this is a brand new set suddenly that has come from nowhere. I don't always do that. And do a I? brand new alien. Yeah, look at that thing. That's ghoulish, isn't it? <laughs> and it's kind of blobby and unknowable and and strange. And again, it just fits Fortis, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's interesting that it's Vicky the one that they've got standing up to it at the at this point, where she's yeah. gone in with the doctor, and the doctor's collapsed almost immediately. And it's Vicky that's doing the standing you've got up to resistance. Wake up. You've got to keep going, mm-hmm. and she makes the explicit reference to a spider, doesn't she? She's a filthy great spider or something like that. Um, John, I don't think I've ever looked at the animus in the detail. I was looking at it there. You're right, it's a bit unknowable, isn't it? It's a bit... You can't quite fit it to anything you've seen before or since. And that's kind of scary. It's almost sort of Lovecraftian. Yeah. In terms of its alienness. Yeah. Because when you you look at it, it, yeah, okay, it's round and it has all these legs coming up, but it doesn't really look spidery. No, it's tentacles and and blobbiness and... Yeah, and the way... sense that it's digging into the ground and its roots are spreading underneath yeah. Fortis as well. And they're pulling parts of it off while Ian is climbing up. Yeah, marvellous. Did you guys see then how gorgeous Ian's arse looked when he was climbing up those roots? His trousers. You can't miss it, can you? Oh, man. He's so pretty, honestly, from both angles. And the strange thing is, I when I when I was young and a Doctor Who fan, he seems so old compared to all the other companions. Now and now he seems so hero. young <laughs> and vibrant. Uh, it comes to us all, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my God! Look, it's wrapping its tentacles around their arms. 
It's creepy stuff. I'm to have the doctor incapacitated, and he's usually the one who is doing this stuff. It, and it's is it brilliant. Barbara that comes in with the the Carzano. I stopped hope. Um, Thank you. What's the Carzano? That's that is the it's home. Um, yeah, this is the bit where it, and, and it's at this point in episode six that it's explaining um, what the the plot was going to be that it um, it wanted to uh, to take from his brain all the uh, the information. And it just said there, Zarbi Sensor Wounded. Now, I'm sorry, we've broken into a lot of buildings, but it's never been talking about itself in the third person, is it? It's just everything about this is unusual. Look, even that, look, the tentacles flailing about behind them there. It's having a bit of panic at the Animus right now. <laughs> yeah, and people talk about Axos being this um, very inventive, one whole organism. Um, and, and it is, but it is. this yeah. was there first. Not not as explicit, but yeah, I'd love to have that astral map in my living room. You know, it's a nice prop, isn't it? Lovely, yeah. Okay, so now what they they call it up? Only turned up twice. Yeah, time. Galaxy Four. Ah, okay. But you know, Doctor Who were very often doing these innovations in the TARDIS that suddenly get forgotten. The fault locator. What happened to that? Too big for the studio. Jettisoned. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the excuse then after Castro Valve why you never see any of those things again. So are they calling in the Monoptera invasion force now? Oh, oh they do. That, that bit where the, the, the Propilius is just wandering about and going, oh, they've all gone off. Yep. Oh, he has to rush up. I better go. <laughs> oh, I'm supposed to be over there. Oh, my God, look. He's he's under the ground. He's underneath it, and he's yeah. about to burst in. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a, it's like flesh, isn't it? Yeah, and that feels very. I am uh, slightly claustrophobic. So to me, this would be a bloody nightmare. Yeah. and it's a bit five doctors where there's one group coming in from um, the ground level and one group coming in from from underneath. There's nobody coming in from above, but. Yeah, well, it's also a bit sort of the Daleks, isn't it? Where they came in from different angles. Mm. Behave yourself. Said, <laughs> said nothing. <laughs> there are many angles of attack. In the mm -hmm. story, I tell you. Yeah, and Ian's giving it a good prod. So is he literally cutting through flesh right now? Yeah. Yeah. Wowzers. The, the, I don't think the concepts, until we've sort of been discussing it, I mean, I hasten to use the word intellectually, the risk of flattering both, but um, sort of pulling it apart, I'm really realising just how staggering some of the concepts are in this. Yeah. And you... it is much clearer in the book as well. So if you ever have a chance to hear William Russell's amazing reading of it, it's, it's superb. It. Oh. oh, it's amazing. Because with some of the things that the animus says, you can interpret it as the the carcinoma is an extension of the animus. Mm -hmm. Wow, look at that. Against, I mean, okay, it does look a bit like a Saturday Night Live set, but... It really reminds me of a pub there used to be in Liverpool called Barcelona that had walls that were very similar to that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, this is great. The the Minotra reaction to seeing the oh no, never yeah, they, and the lot... light. Yeah. Oh my god, look at the vines around Vicky now. Is this restrangling her? Yeah. Oh, and she plays this. What's the the female Minotra's name? Helenia. She plays this really well because there's a sort of like she's almost venerating it while she's terrified. Yeah, they, yeah because they worship the light, don't they? In the temple of light, that's and Helenia is a character that has basically nothing to do. She she contributes, apart from a little bit of peacemaking, she contributes nothing, but she is so well played. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I love this with the lights, the lights sort mm. of crossing each other. You just wouldn't have seen anything else like this on 60s television no. at the time, would you? Oh, and Barbara's desperation there. It doesn't work. Do you know, actually, side, you know what that looks like, don't you? The Animus. What's that? That fucking great monster that was on that spaceship in Space 1999. Oh, yes. Yes, it does. Yes. Dragon's T, what was it called? I can't remember the episode. Uh, Dragon's Domain. Dragon's Domain. It sucks people in and then yeah. out the skeleton. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's just as horrific. Oh, wow. Look at that. Do you see it all, all closing in? Yeah. Yeah, and mm -hmm. she's, Barbara's throwing everything because she's, Getting close enough where she has to, where she's becoming overcome, but she's still firing away at it. Whereas Ian just turns up and goes, "Oh, is everything over?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, late again. <laughs> I mean, it would be rude of me to mention I did just see the string that was holding up the top of that thing there, but you it know. would be. <laughs> yeah. oh, they wouldn't. They probably wouldn't have seen that at the time. Mm. Again, this is an artifact of the cleaning up and us seeing it at a much higher resolution than it would have been at the time. My good friend Lucy McCall said the other day, well, we all know it's there anyway. Yeah, so yeah. Why are you letting that bother your enjoyment? And you see, and here we go. We've got the Zabi now out of the control of the Animus. So they're, they're just doing what comes naturally to them. We've got gardening happening. We've got oh. water coming back onto the planet. And it's very like the end of Colony in Space, where suddenly you've, you've ripped out the the machinery or the entity that is poisoning the planet and life can come back and yeah. suddenly the, the planet will change and it will bloom. And there's just random bits of the carcinome on their own in the background. Yes. That you assume it is because the, the whole thing is just disintegrating and yeah. slowly being resorbed. Don't you love how the power dynamics have changed between the Monoptera and the Zarbi? They're hushing them away from the water there, like, get out of the way, like a load of wild cats. Yeah, because the this is the Monoptera's planet, and yeah. Helio is being back to and back to being an in control drama queen. Arrogant yes. freak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> does he have a moment with the doctor when he gives him the ring back? No, that's Propilius. Oh, sorry. Do you know what? Blink means one to me. <laughs> one bumblebee's another. But oh. they're they're beautifully realised. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Sure. Do you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the end of The Lion King. You know, when everyone's happy and you see the vast vista of the, the landscape, and, you know, they're all happy in, in nature. This is the Doctor of Evelyn. And this is very rare at this point in the show where we have an extended end scene. So usually we've got the TARDIS crew going and um, leaving, and that's the end of the story. But in this story, we actually get a coda without them which I think might be the first time we've seen sort of 
the what happens on the planet only to a small extent after the Doctor and Co have gone, which will become we'll see a bit more later on. But this is a, a first for the show. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's lovely as well. Do you know, I think this is probably the ultimate example here of you can either go with this or you can just write it off as being ridiculous where he the optra takes his eyes away his hands away from the eyes and starts dancing around and going yeah light is good and it's so lovely and charming and sweet and it would be so easy to point at that and see those fuzzy felt arms flapping and go oh this is just absurd but i think it it makes no sense because if they've spent enough generations underground that they have mutated to the point where they're a new species then light wouldn't be good no. As a Doctor Who fan, we can just ride over how absurd something looks and just buy into the world they're trying to give us, you know? I think yeah. it's I think it's just adorable. That's Ab- absolutely and I don't think anything in this looks absurd. Okay, the the Venom grubs look a bit chucked together, but all of the others look great. Oh, look, they're so happy. They're like those darlings dancing around in Evil of the Darlings. <laughs> I love playful monsters. Oh, it's great. Oh, will you it, this this it's... story made such an impact on the audience at the time. They, they were really the next Daleks. We they got spin-off stuff. Were they in the annuals, the Zarbies? They were in yeah. they were in the first annual. They got a TV comic comic strip that started the week after this story finished on TV. What's the lair of Zabri Supreme? That was from the first Doctor Who annual. Ah, okay. Um, and they got they got badges, they appeared in the um Doctor Who projector that you could project store um scenes from stories on and and all the sorts. Mentioned target well it wasn't a target novel, the aforementioned novelization. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it clearly made, and you know, I can't say it enough. The ratings, you know, like people yeah, they held up. It wasn't like that. it went off a cliff because it was so weird. They stayed sort of pretty much through. So then, I've got a question for you both. Which, before we give our reasons as to why, so I should go watch this immediately. Why do so many people point at this story and laugh? And it does happen a lot. It doesn't always have the best reputation. Well, we've clearly just spent, you know, three hours explaining why there's so much of worth here. What is it about this that is easy to mock? Simon. Um, I think I think back in the day, and certainly when I was first involved with with fandom, you didn't get to see stories. You got to see see, see pictures and read things. But I mean, I, I was a fan before any of the VHSs were released you got to see still images and the the Monoptera, the Optra do look a bit ridiculous in in the still images and so I, I think that there was a, a fan wisdom that this was something that looked a bit silly Sorry? I I think it goes back to what we said earlier that as soon as it was available on video, everyone binge watched it and you'd watch all six episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't designed to be watched like that. And actually, if you take it slower and divide it up, even if you just do two, two, and two, it works better than 
trying to watch all six in a row because it wasn't meant to be watched like that. It's meant to be a slow build-up. It's meant to be a slow story that you get immersed in. And trying to watch it all in one go, I think, would seriously damage its reputation. Yeah. I mean, clearly the best way to watch this is three episodes every six months. (laughs) (laughs) We certainly got the best out of it that way. Mm -hmm. The the danger of being this ambitious, and we've already explained how incredibly ambitious this is, is that you risk alienating a section of your audience that likes things to be a bit safe and people watch procedural shows for a reason you know what you're getting week yeah week. and even in and periods of Doctor who you kind of know hinchcliffe you know really what you're getting graham williams yeah. you know what you're getting this is out there isn't it yeah and i, I think but there was also audience no not at all but i think there's also a tendency within fandom to pick out the bits that didn't work and oh it's the story where azabi hits the camera or the venom grub hits the set or this didn't quite work and so obviously it's rubbish because of that and it's not necessarily true it's a very reductive way of watching doctor who a lot of people will look at television that was made in what 65 yeah and they'll judge it on the techniques that are used in 2022 you know, and that's just an absurd thing to do. Why would you even do that? Very, very strange. All right, boys. Well, we've had an exciting event around Planet Vortis. Uh, we now need to each give three reasons. We'll start with Sai and then Simon and then me. We'll go round and round as to why somebody should grab the Web Planet off their shelf and watch it immediately. Sai. Okay. Well, for me, I'm going to pick um, episode one, um, the Web Planet. Because that is just the most bonkers and brilliant episode. And just watching William Russell walking around behind William Hartnell, wondering what the hell is going to happen next, gives me such joy. And watching William Hartnell giggling his way through exploring an alien planet. um, Yeah, that's one of my favourite episodes of Doctor Who. I really love that episode. Simon? Um. I think this is one of the best realised alien planets that's that was ever in classic Doctor Who. I think it's um, inventive and pretty much unique, in certainly in the 60s, in terms of quite how far it stretched imagination, both in terms of the, the realisation of the planet and the realisation of the aliens on it. Uh, I'm going to say the characterization of the Minotra characters, which all kind of look similar, but you can tell from their body language, their characterization, and the performances who they are and what their dynamics are. I think that's an easy thing to pull off, and I think they pull it off exceedingly well. Sigh. Um, Catherine Fleming, as the voice of the Animus, is brilliant and chilling and wonderful, and we don't ever see her we just have this this disembodied voice and it's wonderful. It's such a great performance. And it's one of those performances in Doctor Who that never, ever gets talked about. And it really should, because she is absolutely brilliant. Sai? Yeah? Have you ever been asked, why do you come now? <laughs> oh, once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> Simon? 
the soundscape. Now, I, I generally, and I, I know you, you two are much more into the the soundtracks than I am. I generally only take notes of soundtracks if they're particularly good or particularly bad, and this was brilliant. The the sound just worked fantastically. The music really contributed to the alien feel. Um, the sound effects were very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all of it just contributed to that whole alienness that that goes throughout the whole story. I'm gonna say now. You said it was one of the best realized planets, but I'm gonna point out the moments of uh visual ambition that really works so like the doctor and ian in front of the pyramid the shot uh the mirror shot up looking up at the ceiling there um some of the work on the with the moons behind them like it doesn't all work i don't think but I think when it all sort of slots together, especially when it's on film, those sequences of the, the Monoptera flying in are unforgettable. I think this is one of the most visually arresting Doctor Who stories. Fine. Um, I'm going to go for the um, body horror that we don't often get at this this um, era oh, yeah. of the show. Um, so the ripping off the wings, which is something that a child might do to an insect in in the garden or whatever uh, tearing the wings off a fly or or whatever and the optera sticking her head into the wall and being uh covered in acid and it's it's horrific in a in a strange way but it's horrible and nasty and again richard martin directs it quite sensitively by not showing it which makes it even worse in your imagination than it would be sort of seeing it on screen so just ripping the beautiful wings off the back of the monoptera is is a horrible horrible thing brilliant simon right um the tardis and the tardis teams because we get some really nice tardis um scenes and interaction between the regulars in the particularly in episode one um this is one of the the best classic era tardis teams um i think it's possibly uh, certainly one of the best um of the the 60s uh, trout and ben and polly i think is the only one that, that that comes even close and barbara in particular this is her story. She takes center stage. She's the one that's leading the rebellion. Um, Ian is hidden away underground, quite literally, and sidelined. His contribution to the plot is fairly minimal. Um, the Doctor and Vicky are stuck in the carcinome. Barbara is the one. She's out there. She's front and center. She is leading the charge. And considering she's only in it for five episodes, because she had a holiday in the middle, Yes, it's absolutely her story. Um, Barbara is one of the the best realised classic companions, and this is a fantastic story for her. And my last one is going to be, because I think on this viewing, I realise how effective it is, but the animus as both visually and in conception as this sort of cancerous evil at the heart of the planet and just how that is explored it's one of the more unusual doctor who monsters 
Um, and you know, I've I've mentioned a couple of I lost my mum to cancer. So so to see this sort of visual representation of this horrible, sort of unknowable, unkillable, insidious monster mm. reaches out into this planet like cancer does in the body of so many people. I mean, it's very scary when you think about it like that. Actually, it's visualised in a very scary way in this as well. I think it's very different, and I think it's fantastic because of it. My God, I think we've literally described why the web planet is the ultimate doctor who story yeah <laughs> i don't think we can sing his praises more i think people may have come to this you know expecting us to take the piss they'll be disappointed um mm-hmm. okay so very briefly Sai, where are we heading next you and i me and you with fraser next are going to the moon via t-mat <laughs> when it's oh. working there's a hot blonde, you know, who's ready to send us. There is. She'll count us in. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and a weedy wimp up on the moon who's going to sell us yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And Simon, where are we heading next? We're heading to the moon. Are we? Couple of, yeah, a couple of years earlier, and we are going to visit a moon base. Oh, of course. I thought we were doing the time once the next, you know. No, we're no, also that, that's, the, that's the one after that. I was trying to remember when in the time once do they go to the fucking moon, you know. I'm like, so we're both going to Trouton Moons. We there are. we go. I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> A fair few women visited those as well, you know. <laughs> Well, it just leaves me to say thank you very much for your time, both of you. It's been such fun to talk about this story. And And, and I'm just going to slip a quick plug in because both of you are joining us on the Moss experiment, aren't you? We are. Um, Okay, well, can I talk about what I'm talking about first? Absolutely. Thank you very much. Um, So I'm, for the first time ever, going to be watching Doom Watch. Four episodes have been selected for me to watch. Um, now, this is notoriously the show that Terence Dix said he didn't even want to look over their scripts to see if they were exchanging the same ideas because it was so terrible. But I know from you that this is a show that's worth watching, so I cannot wait to talk about it. And I am going to be discussing a show that I discovered when I had COVID earlier in the year and ended up um, watching the whole, almost the whole existing episodes so i'm going to be doing um a story from the series ace of wands which is utterly and completely bonkers and what is it oh job it's difficult to describe now but basically it's the (laughs) story the adventures of a magician and his friends but he has psychic abilities and comes up against really bizarre plots that sounds amazing i'm sold Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to be recording those very soon. I don't know when we're coming yeah. out. Oh, sorry. We came out years ago, obviously. <laughs> but I don't know when we're going to be... When Do you know roughly when we're going to be released? Oh, God, no. That, that That's down to Ken. And um, we have a tendency to slot extra things in. So we there's a... The next episode we're releasing is a, um, a memorial to the Queen. Um Oh, wow. And that's something that was recorded very recently. Whereas we've got thing that, like our commentary on the moon base was recorded about three years ago and we haven't got around to releasing yet. So okay. um, g- commentaries with other people, we tend to release as quickly as we mm-hmm. can. Um, 
So I would hope fairly quickly, but I'm not the one that does the editing. I just I just turn up and talk. And I'm just going to do one more quick, brief plug, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which I'm going to now take out of uh, Sci Heart, because Maximum Power Series B <laughs> is finally soon to be released. It's oh, fantastic. Yes. So yes, yeah, so we've done a very, very, very special episode to start the um, the series off, and I can't say more at the moment on Mike because um, it might not have been released by the time this commentary comes out. But I'm I'm um, I'm be editing that very shortly, and yeah, it's very, very exciting. And then we've got our fourteen episodes for Series B and our retrospective ready to go. Did you just say you can't say anything on Mike? <laughs> oh joe oh, <laughs> oh I agree. No, that was a clue <laughs> you can tell you can tell us off mike you'd be mm-hmm. like fellas thank you very much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure this has been wonderful thank you and it's a joy as always joe we'll see you soon boo